Welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm your host and co-founder of Web for Realty, a SaaS company that I bootstrapped out of my parents' basement with no money and no tech experience into a fully remote company doing seven figures in ARR. I'm taking you through my SaaS journey in real time as I talk about business situations I'm going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My purpose is not to give you the answers, but to spark something in your mind that can help improve your business along the way. One of the most powerful ways to add value to your customers and leads is to communicate with them effectively. Our company uses customer IO for all of our email and SMS communication and marketing with clients and leads. Customer.io helps us engage with clients at the right time, depending on the actions they make or don't make within our app. We're able to put our clients into custom segments. We can create custom email or SMS nurturing campaigns, uh, or we can send out one-off broadcasts or newsletters to specific groups. The flexibility and customization ability is off the charts. With Customer I.O., we're now able to send the right communication to the right people at the right time. On top of the amazing functionality, the UI of the app is absolutely incredible. I'm a non-technical person and I'm in there almost every single day working on email sequences and campaigns and just monitoring results. So if you want to step up your communication with your clients and leads, or if you want to just improve the level of engagement and value you provide your clients, I highly recommend customer.io. Go to customer.io slash founderviews and sign up. That's customer.io slash founderviews. Let them know I sent you. They'll definitely take care of you. Believe me, you won't regret it. In this episode, I'm speaking with Spencer Fry, the CEO and founder of Podia. Podia helps creators sell anything online from courses, downloads, and memberships without worrying about any tech. Podia is about five years old. They're a fully remote team of 19 people uh, at the time we recorded this, maybe even more now. And they just seem to be picking up a ton of traction in this space. Spencer has a very bold vision for the company. In the next five years, he wants Podia to be the only platform that a creator uses to monetize. We talk about what he's doing and what they plan on doing to execute on that big vision, which I love. Uh, Spencer has been a serial entrepreneur since day one. He's actually never received a paycheck from someone other than himself, which is pretty unique. Um, He's founded four companies, including Podia, has had three successful exits, and is now focused on growing Podia to to be the leader in their space. So if you're, a, if you're in SaaS, uh, a CEO, a founder, or just anyone in business, definitely listen to this chat with one of the best executors I've ever spoken to. So without further ado, here's my chat with Spencer Fry. All right, Spencer, thank you so much for joining me on Founder Views. Really appreciate this. Thanks for having me. Amazing. So not sure if you if you remember, but I actually started following you on Twitter uh, maybe like two three years ago, I believe. Mm-hmm. I even sent you a, a, a message, but after, I, I stumbled upon your blog, and I can't remember precisely yeah. what I read at that time. But you know, I remember just there being so many striking similarities, like in our thoughts and what we write about, mm-hmm. which I thought was crazy. So I started following you. I have been passively following your journey with Podio, which is pretty amazing. Um, but but if you don't mind, you should kick things mm-hmm. off by, by just sharing a bit about yourself, telling us what Podia does and who you help. Yeah, sure. So, um, I've been, so I'm now 35 years old. I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. I've actually, one of my claims of fame is I've never gotten a paycheck from anyone outside of myself. Uh, so my earliest company I founded was 
in sophomore year of college. And uh, I've since founded four companies. Um, I've been working on uh, Podia for the last four years now. Uh, but my, I guess the, the company I'm best known for, uh, I guess Podia is kind of catching up there, but uh, was, was Carbon Made, which was the first online portfolio platform for artists and creative people to display their work online. Um, it's now over 2 million uh, customers. But yeah, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, I love building things. Products is kind of my favorite thing. I'm doing a lot of management these days now that we're 19 people and growing. Uh, so my job has shifted a lot, but uh, it's it's always fun building things. That's kind of my my passion. That's amazing. All right. So I like that. You never received a paycheck from anyone other than yourself. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so a carbon made, when, when did you, I, did you uh, exit that? Did you sell it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. both, all three of my previous startups have all had exits. Um, okay. The first one type frag was like the, if you maybe you're familiar with discord, which is kind of the biggest tool now for online video gamers to kind of communicate online. But, uh, type frag was actually the first one of those started back in 2003. And then I ran that for about four years during college. I actually had some employees, uh, while I was, while I went to classes, so that was, that was interesting. Um, and then after that, I started working on carbon made, ran that for about four years and sold my, I, I owned about a third of the company. So I sold my shares. Um, then I started working on this sort of B2B business called uncover for a couple of years, but I just really didn't like the whole B2B space. Um, just a lot of, you know, issues with selling into organizations. Um, and then I started Podia about four years ago, trying to get back to working with creators. Like I love working with creative people, individuals, um, individuals are great because you have only one person you need to kind of convince to use your service. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. My business is the same. Like we target real estate agents. So it's, although they're a business, technically they're an individual. So yeah, definitely a lot easier, I think. Yeah, it but, makes it um, simpler. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So for those who may not know what Podia does exactly, do you mind just sharing a bit about the platform and how you help these creators? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, everyone who signs up for an account with us has their own store. Uh, to be able to sell digital products. So uh, we support online courses, uh, digital downloads, um, as well as they can create their own membership. We also have a bunch of other tools as well. So email marketing is built into the platform. So you can send your newsletters, um, set up automations, that sort of thing. And most recently, we actually launched a live chat. So we launched our own version of live chat. So all of our creators can communicate directly over uh, chat with their customers as well as visitors to their storefronts. We also have affiliate marketing. <laughs> we have a website builder, um, but we just provide them with all the tools they need. So they don't need to look at kind of using a bunch of different solutions and sort of tying them up together. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I saw the update with the live chat recently. So that was <laughs> pretty cool. Um, so you, you launched in 2014, you said, so call it five years in now with Podia. Um, I'm curious, like when you launched initially, was your customer profile the same as it is now or has it evolved over the years? It's changed a lot. So, um, the first, the first year of the business, it was really, it was really just me working on it. Um, I'm a solo founder kind of figuring out exactly what I wanted to build and, and, um, who I wanted to, to be my customer. So originally I started with more kind of tutors and coaches and people sort of 
traditionally teaching offline and seeing if I could get them to teach online. Um, so the first year was mostly targeting those people. Uh, then in the second year, uh, I got a couple people to come work with me, continue to target coaches, continue to target tutors. It ended up being that after that sort of second year, 99% of our customers were non-tutors, non-coaches. So we quickly realized, all right, um, that's not the right market for us. And we sort of more, more broadly opened up the platform and started targeting kind of creators in general, in general. So gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It usually always happens when you, you first launch or just figure things out and sort of evolve. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It takes time <laughs> for sure. So you said you're, you're a solo founder. Um, what, what's your buyer? Are you a developer or? So, um, yes and no. Uh, I went to school for kind of computer science and, um, psychology, ended up taking a bunch of computer science classes, um, did some coding after school, but, um, I'm no better. Um, I mean, I can kind of create an MVP, but I can't really go beyond that. And I sort of understand development. I understand coding. I've just been around it for now, like 15 plus years. Um, but I'm definitely not someone you want to build a stable application. Uh, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. All right. Cool. That's awesome. Um, just for some context. So the previous three companies you founded, like you mentioned, those were, uh, three bootstrapped startups, right? Yeah, correct. So, um, until this company actually, until Podia, um, I had always bootstrapped businesses and actually had planned on bootstrapping this one too, but about six months into a year into it, actually, met a, a friend of a friend in Brooklyn for, for beers, uh, outdoors. So it was kind of a very like New York, uh, <laughs> New York thing to do. And he was a venture capitalist and we started talking and I sort of, uh, started showing him what I was working on towards the end of the conversation. Um, and then a couple of days later, he actually sent me a term sheet. It was like, Hey, you know, if you're interested, we'd love to invest in the business. And I was like, all right, let's try, <laughs> let's try this. Uh, so ended up, uh, raising money from, from him and his firm. And, you know, since then we've raised a few more rounds of, of funding, but, um, yeah, it's, it's much different having raised capital versus bootstrapping in the past, but it's also kind of more necessary these days. And in 2019, 2020 and going forward, you just kind of need more capital to build, you know, better quality products. So, so that's interesting, you know, coming from just like a bootstrap background and that's how you, what you knew uh, early on, uh, I was going to ask and you sort of answer like what made you seek funding uh, this time around with Podia. But, um, you know, were you more confident, like was your vision bigger with Podia compared to other startups and, and were you more confident with taking backing as opposed to going at it yourself? So, um, I don't know if the vision was any bigger, I think, you know, especially with car remade, that was a really huge vision that we had, but I think the reality just is that it's a lot more difficult to kind of break through the noise these days. So, you know, when I launched Carbon Made back in 2005, um, which is crazy, that's like 15 years ago. Um, there just weren't that many startups. There weren't that many products. There weren't that many applications. So it was just much more, you could get noticed a lot uh, more easily. Whereas nowadays it's just, there's so much competition, whether or not direct com competitors or not that you need to have just, better design, better product, better marketing, you know, better, better content, better support. You just, there's so much stuff that you need where kind of having some, some, some amount of financing, whether it's like a 
seed round or a pre-seed round or friends and family. It just really helps you get off um, and get started. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so how, how many do you share, like how many rounds of, of funding you guys have closed now or? Yeah. I mean, um, I won't mention the exact amount, but we have raised, um, five rounds of financing over five years, which is actually, (laughs) which is funny because that's actually very typical. Um, we haven't raised like a mega big round. That's, you know, like a ton of money, like many, many millions of dollars, but we've raised a bunch of smaller rounds. I remember actually right before I raised, um, any money at all, I met, I went to like this talk and this entrepreneur was speaking on stage and he mentioned that he'd raised 17 rounds of financing over six years. And I was like, how is that even possible? <laughs> um, but you know, you kind of, if you're, if you're smart and you raise, um, small amounts to hit certain milestones and you keep hitting those milestones, you'll actually save more of the company, um, than sort of like raising $10 million on, you know, for your first round. Yeah, no, for sure. Makes sense. Okay. Um, so let's take it back to the beginning then. So I know you mentioned, you know, you know, there's a lot of noise now and it's very difficult to penetrate. You need to be really good at a lot of different things. Um, yeah. I, actually before that, did you, did you get your first round of funding from the VC before you launched the product or was it after? Yeah. So we, so actually it was me at the time I had some, so I've done some design work in the past. So I have a little bit of a design background. I had a bunch of mock-ups. Um, I had a bunch of research I'd done, but I'd actually hadn't had a kind of fully working prototype at the time. Uh, so his investment was me in me was mostly based on my history as an entrepreneur and like my previous successes, plus sort of the idea that I had as well as kind of some of the initial work I had had done. Um, but actually like, I don't mind talking about how much we raised in that round. So that, that was our first round. We raised a total of, uh, 550,000 for that first round, but it was just me. So it was like me, my bank account and $550,000 in it. Um, and I had no other people I was working with at the time. Nice. Nice. Okay. Perfect. So, okay. What I wanted to get at basically, so I speak to a lot of early stage founders and Mm -hmm. a a common struggle I see with, with these folks is how to gain traction and how to get the early customers. So like, what did you do to get your early customers back in the day when you were just starting out? So for our first, um, probably several hundred customers. We actually mostly used uh, Craigslist. <laughs> so at the time I would kind of contact people. So as I mentioned, I was going for like tutors and coaches and that kind of thing. And a lot of those people advertise on, on Craigslist. So I would kind of respond directly to their ads and sort of say, Hey, like saw your ad, you know, I'd be curious to talk to you about this thing I'm working on. Like, have you, have you thought about, um, you know, selling courses online versus doing all of your tutoring in person. So that's kind of my, my, was my entry point. And I think that brought in probably the first 300 to 400, uh, customers, not all paying obviously, but, um, enough where I could kind of get, do a lot of research, uh, do a lot of conversations with them, um, kind of learn what their needs were. It wasn't until around 2017. So about two to three years in the business where, um, we started, started to get a lot of inbound traffic. And at that point I put a uh, live chat on our platform or sorry, not on our platform, on our marketing site. And I did actually over 4,000 chats with, uh, customers and visitors in that year alone. So huge proponent of live chat. <laughs> wow. So you see, that's funny. Remember when I said earlier, like the similarities and like, 
what you just said right there is like pretty much how I got my first literally four or 500 clients was just like that mm-hmm. raw old school, like pick up the phone, call real estate yeah. agents. And you know, that that's how I did it. And I feel like nowadays people try and get too fancy almost when it comes to sales and gaining traction, you know, they think they got to like pay for ads and like do all this, you know, fancy stuff with analytics. But you know, the, yeah. especially in, in our type of, uh, target market where you're targeting an individual and it's it's easier to reach these people there's nothing wrong with sort of picking up the phone and reaching out to them directly like there's a lot of value there if you're in SaaS and you accept recurring revenue probably the most important tool you need is a revenue management platform it wasn't until we implemented chargeify where we became a real SaaS company chargeify helps manage all of our subscribers we're able to create different product categories create add-on components and charge clients for one-time services they also provide deep revenue and churn metrics so you know exactly where your business stands at any point in time one of my favorite features is the ability to customize your dunning strategy sequence so you can recover as much revenue as possible that alone will pay for the software and then some chargeify is so incredibly featureful it can integrate with any processor with a few clicks Uh, i'm a numbers and finance guy and i can't imagine running a SaaS company without chargeify from a revenue collection and finance point of view chargeify literally does it all if you want to step up your business and become a real SaaS company look no further than chargeify now i'm able to provide an exclusive promo to my listeners i'm getting you the first month of chargeify completely free plus free premium onboarding the thing is the deal is only good until the next month so if you're thinking about making a switch i highly suggest acting on it quickly Uh, it will be the best decision you make i promise you and they have to know that i send you to get the promo that's very important so go to the show notes in this episode and click on the link to chargeify that's how they're going to know i send you go to the show notes click on the link to chargeify so you can get the first month free and free premium onboarding If you want to supercharge your SaaS business, use Chargeify. You won't regret it. And it's a lot less expensive too. Exactly. Um, I I just read some article yesterday or the day before about a tech startup um, lost all their money doing Facebook ads. They didn't kind of monitor the Facebook ads closely enough and spent like millions of dollars on them. And now they're out of business. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Yeah, all all it takes is is your your time and effort, you know, no money and you can gain a lot of traction. So so fast forward to today then, you know, I want to, like I try and provide as much actionable tips and advice to Mm -hmm. the audience as possible. So, you know, like you said, your customers are are creators, they're selling digital products online. Um, So where is most of your growth coming from today? Like, is there a particular channel that's working best for Podia right now? Uh, yeah. So, um, as of around two years ago, we hired our first marketing person full time and his background was a lot in content marketing. And so we knew we wanted to go heavily invested in content marketing. Um, even though content marketing can take, you know, anywhere from six to 18 months to kind of pay off just Google just takes their time. Um, so probably around half of all of our um, incoming trials and paying customers come from content. We now have a team of four people full time. Um, all their job is, is to create content. So three of them are writers producing articles, uh, probably two articles per week each. And then we have a person producing two YouTube videos per week for us as well. So half of it's content 
And then the rest comes from a lot of like direct referrals. Um, we have an affiliate marketing program, uh, on the footer of all of our stores, there's a little powered by Podia on there. So we get a lot of traffic from that as well. Um, and then word of mouth is really kind of growing, uh, as we grow. Okay. So that's interesting. I was going to, I wanted to unpack the content marketing a bit. So you said, um, two articles a week. Per writer. Yeah. Oh, per writer per week. Okay. So you said you had two writers, so they call it four, uh, three are, yeah, three writers, um, full time and then one video content marketer. Okay. Um, any, like in your experience, what, what type of articles sort of perform better? Is there a trend in terms of like word count or like style Mm -hmm. of article? I don't, I don't know all the specifics on the sort of technical details because I kind of stay away from a lot of the kind of the day-to-day on the marketing side. Um, one of the, uh, once you, when you have a really good CMO, you get to do that. <laughs> so super fortunate to be able to focus on other things. Uh, that being said, you know, we do work with like an SEO guy um, as a consultant and we do have like a roadmap that tends to be like six to 12 months out um, on SEO. So a lot of it is like you need a combination of both kind of top of the funnel content as well as bottom of the funnel content. So you're, you're, you're at the same time trying to grow the audience as well as convert the audience. And it's really kind of like you need to focus on different things at different times. So if you're really kind of in a, in a, in a rush to kind of grow revenue, you need to focus on those sort of articles that are convert customers. Um, but if you sort of have some breathing room and you're looking to kind of expand the market size, then you want to uh, focus more on that um, top of the level, top of the funnel content. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, both the articles specifically as well. Like I, I sort of hear two sides to it. Like in terms of the, the actual content itself, like are you r- relating the content specifically with how Podia, um, can help with whatever the article is about? Or are you just like, is the sole purpose just to provide value to the audience and you're not really connecting it with Podia? So we, um, we focus first on providing value for the audience and then we connect it um, back to us when it makes sense. Um, so if we're saying writing an article about, um, how yogis can make more money selling online, something like that. I don't even think we have an article about that, <laughs> but just as an example, you know, yeah. we'll really make it very exhaustive and thorough on all the various ways that they can do that. Um, and then where it applies to us, um, we'll talk about how we can do that, but it's always sort of seamless. Um, we try not to make it kind of just look like it's marketing from us. Um, really kind of provide the value first. Yeah, no, it makes, makes total sense. Um, all right. That's awesome. What about paid ads? Do you guys do any paid? We don't know. Um, it's something that we're probably going to experiment with, uh, in 2020. Um, but a lot of it's just been a resources thing. You know, the best way to do paid advertisement is to do it um, in house, meaning that you have someone whose full-time job is to manage, uh, the paid marketing efforts, you know, and if you want anyone good, you know, they're probably anywhere from 125 to $175,000 a year. Plus you need to give them a budget of probably half a million dollars a year or more. So it's just, a, it's a big commitment, you know, um, into, into the organization. It's pretty expensive. So we just haven't sort of stepped into that yet. Yeah. Not cheap. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's definitely something we're going to start to look at and pursue. And I'll add yeah. one other thing too there is that it's really important that you have like your funnel in place. So you know how 
well, you know, all your conversion metrics are, are working and you have the resources both on the content side, as well as on the design side to support that person as well. You know, you have to build all the proper landing pages. So it's just a huge, huge company effort. I think it's probably more like a million plus to do it effectively. Yeah, definitely a lot involved, a lot of moving parts. I, I agree with keeping it in-house. Like we just recently, uh, after eight years, like just started experimenting with paid ads as well and mm-hmm. uh, tried out a couple of agencies who just like made no sense. Like it, it was yeah. such a waste, but uh, we ended up bringing it in-house. So so yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, the problem um, with an agency is that it's just, they only, you're one of the, one of many accounts and they're only spending a few hours a week with you and just the way that ads work in these days, you really have to be changing things almost hourly um, for them to be really effective. So yeah, it's exactly. tough to do that with some part-time person. I agree. Um, what about sticking to sort of uh, marketing? Like what about outbound? You guys do any of that? We haven't done outbound um, partly, not because I don't think it would work, <laughs> uh, but just partly I think, culturally I've sort of been against it, you know, this idea of like spamming people, um, that sort of thing. I know it's not just spamming people. Like sometimes you're actually providing value and outbound can be done in a good way. Um, but since we have all these other things working, I've kind of been suggesting we sort of stick to what's working and just continue to build that out. You know, most companies actually, most companies actually have like one channel that they ride for years. Um, and you really don't necessarily need to be in kind of multiple channels, two, three, four. It's, it's probably best to be, have at least a second option that's working, but really you only need kind of one, um, channel that you're kind of crushing it at. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Sort of double down on what's working and perfect that. Yeah. Um, the reason I asked about earlier in my career, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I don't think anyone did. Um, but yeah, the reason I asked about outbound is just because the type of customer you're after, it's like an individual, they're easy to reach. Mm-hmm. So I, I was curious to hear your thoughts on that, but it uh, makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, one, one more question about marketing. Um, what about like, how do you think your, your personal brand comes into bringing in new business? Like I'd imagine that's pretty significant from like my perspective. Um, yeah. You know, Cause you're, you're pretty well known and respected in the SaaS community of it, you know, pretty big following on like Twitter. Mm-hmm. So like, what are your thoughts on your personal brand and how it helps with new business? So it definitely helped. Um, not going to lie <laughs> in the first couple of years. I mean, it really, really helped. Just, I was able to convince some larger creators to take a risk, um, with me. People, some of them had been following me on Twitter or I had known them or one guy had actually been on his podcast. So early days, it really, really helps. I think now as we're bigger, um, there's very little I can do that kind of alone to, to move the needle just from blogging or tweeting or that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, early days, it, it was, it was big. Um, especially we had this one guy, Justin Jackson, who was a friend of mine and he's still a customer. He was one of our first, oh, he was definitely our first biggest customer. And just within the first 90 days, he joined the platform. He brought in about hundred paying customers. So it was huge. Um, so yeah, that was very, very helpful. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. From uh, transistor.fm, right? Yeah. 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 He's now, he's now running his own podcasting company alongside selling all his his courses and his ebook and his membership as well. No, yeah. I actually reached out to him to be a guest on this podcast. Maybe you can give him a little nudge. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) No problem. Uh, So today uh, you said you're at a 19 team members. 
Yeah. Nice. I was just going to say that it's, you know, there's whole new challenges now, um, you know, approaching 20 and, and growing beyond that. I think all my previous companies were all 12 people and under, and with 12 people and under, you don't, there's a lot of stuff you don't need. Like you don't need a ton of policies. You don't need um, a lot of managers and you don't need all this kind of HR stuff. But um, now we've grown this to this side. I'm finding myself having to deal with a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. Totally relate to that. And, and on top of that, you're fully remote as well, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. Do you, have you actually met every one of your team members or there's still um, team members you haven't mm-hmm. met face to face yet? Yeah. So once a year we do uh, a week long team retreat. So I've met nice. everyone as of last March, <laughs> um, nice. but we've, we've hired some new people since then. So I think uh, four or five people. So I haven't met them in person yet, but we're doing another one in, a, um, in like three months from now. So excited to meet everyone. Okay. That's awesome. Where do you go? Like do you, them. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Where do you usually do uh, the retreats or you mix it up? every year we mix it up so we've um this will be year three for us doing retreats so first year we did it in uh portland maine which was awesome um i think we were seven people at the time um and then last year we did it in new york city and brooklyn um and i think we were 13 um so now this this upcoming one we're still kind of debating where we're gonna have it but most likely someplace on the east coast so our team is um we are uh, four people in Canada, one in Ireland, and the rest are all over the U.S. So the East Coast is kind of a nice sort of centralized location, especially for the guy in Ireland. Nice, nice. Yeah, it makes sense. So, yeah, it seems like you've added, you know, quite a few team members this past year then, probably at a higher clip than you're used to. Like, do you still do the hiring at Podia? Yeah. Yeah. We actually started this year at nine people. So we've added 10 people to the team, um, since the start of year. So I still, um, for every job we post, I still oversee a lot of it, um, with, um, whatever manager of the department. So if it's marketing, I'll work with the CMO on it. If it's support, I'll work with our lead support person. If it's development, I'll I'll work with our CTO on it. But yeah, it's, it's, that's a huge, um, takes a huge amount of time. I, we had a customer support role uh, about four months ago that we posted where we had over 1300 applications that I had to review, uh, one by one. Jeez, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to ask, like, I, I still do the hiring in my company as well. Yeah. So, so I was wondering to hear from you, like how the hiring process changed from like hiring one person at a time to probably multiple people at a time. So we, we still tend to hire uh, one job at a time. You know, we don't okay. have a list of say nine available positions um, on our website, mainly because I like the idea of if we're going to hire someone, I really want to hire that person and go find the best person um, as opposed to just waiting for people to come to us. Um, so when we do post a job, we really spend a lot of time promoting that job. Um, whether it's like paying for ads for it, uh, you know, posting to all the sites, uh, you know, promoting it on our blog or our, our newsletter and all that stuff. So we really spent a lot of time promoting for that, for that position. No, yeah, for sure. It makes sense. Um, any specific tips for hiring someone remotely? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so one thing that I've kind of learned since uh, hiring most everyone remotely. So at Carve, we made my last big company. We were half remote, half in person. And now being fully remote, I really kind of rely, not rely, but I really look for someone who's super uh, friendly and enthusiastic. Um, just because if you work with people that aren't those two things at a remote company, it's very difficult to communicate with them um, and difficult to sort of just work with them day to day or for them to work with you. So I really kind of favor people that are really super enthusiastic about the role and also very friendly and kind of outgoing, even though we're all working at home um, behind our computer monitors. Yeah, that's a, that's a good piece of advice for sure. Um, So curious as a fully remote team, then do you have any favorite tools or apps that help you or your team stay more focused and more productive? Any favorites? Yeah. Um, for just helping the team kind of collaborate on things, we mainly use, uh, Slack, uh, Trello. Um, we use Dropbox paper for most of our team collaborative docs and stuff like that. We use this tool called slab that I really like, uh, which is a in- internal company wiki. So we post all of our policies, but also kind of any kind of, um, so say we, we, we release a new feature, we'll do sort of like a post-mortem and we'll put it into Slab. So for future cells for us to see. Um, but those are the main tools we use in terms of collaboration. We also use like GitHub and everything like that. Um, but I, I was actually just looking at our books a couple of days ago, and I think we pay now for over 48 SaaS tools. Um, so yeah, we use a lot of tools. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's crazy. One thing I do every, yeah. probably twice a year, same with that, like the list of SaaS apps is just crazy. And like literally twice a year, I go line by line, like, what are we paying for? And most times I can either downgrade a subscription because we don't use it properly or just get rid of it, replace it with something that's can give us the exact same thing at a lower cr- price. Cause like there's new apps coming out all the time. Yeah. And like that can usually save like, you know, between three and 5,000 a year easily. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we pay now I don't know over a hundred thousand dollars a year in SaaS apps. (laughs) It's it's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, what about like metrics wise? Like, is there any metrics specifically you're focusing on now or trying to improve at the moment? So, I mean, all of them, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) there, there's two apps I really like for that. There's, um, as long as we're talking about apps, there's heap. Um, heap.io, which is amazing for tracking everything. Um, and then we use Metabase, um, which is a free tool. So Heap is really expensive. Um, but Metabase is a free tool that we use for, um, creating these like feature dashboards. So, um, as I mentioned earlier, like say we just, uh, launched messaging. So right before we launched messaging, we actually built a little dashboard that had a bunch of different queries in it to track all the various metrics around that feature. Um, so we can kind of watch it and monitor it. So for that specifically, we tracked everything from, uh, you know, how many people were using it per day, how many messages we're getting per day, how many conversations we're getting, um, you know, were people enabling it, disabling it, um, all the various things around that. That's uh, that that's used, use Metabase for that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So we, uh, we built all these various feature data, databases or dashboards in Metabase, uh, to track feature usage, usages, um, which really helps us. So say, for example, like we launched upsells, 
um, 18 months ago and we weren't really sure, you know, how, how is this going to improve our customer sales? Um, and so we built a dashboard around that feature specifically in Metabase to be able to track it and see kind of how well it was performing. Nice. That's awesome. Never, never heard of the Metabase, but I'll definitely check that out. Um, all right. Perfect. You know, this is a difficult question to answer for most, but what does a typical day look like for you as a CEO of Podio? Like, you know, I imagine you're wearing multiple hats and, you know, does your attention usually drift towards a certain part of the business or are you sort of dipping your toes into sort of everything when needed? So I, I definitely, um, look at everything at all times, which is not always a good thing. Um, but, but product is definitely my focus, um, product and just kind of managing the team. Um, obviously it shifts every six months what I do, uh, as we kind of grow and I take fewer things off my plate. Uh, but every day is completely different where, so right now, for example, it's, um, I think it's December 6th or 7th. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of wrapping up the year. So I've been working on a lot of things like our product strategy for 2020. Um, I write an update to the team at the end of the year that kind of goes back in time over the previous year, all the things we did, um, mostly well. And then some of the things that maybe we did poorly or things we can improve. Uh, we have a board meeting in January. So I'm working on the board deck for that. Uh, we're trying to get a bunch of feature releases out the door in the next two weeks. I'm working on that. Uh, we're doing our performance reviews for the first time as a company. So I'm working on that. So I'm right now I'm just like stretched very, very thin. Um, but I kind of like it that way. It's never a boring day. No, that, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Cause you know, one thing you I think tweeted not, not too long ago, maybe this week or last week was on mm-hmm. the peer reviews. Um, yeah. and I'm curious, like what, what made you, I think you're doing this for the first time you mentioned. So like what, what made you start yeah. this and what do you plan on accomplishing with the reviews? So this year, um, growing from, you know, nine to 19 people, we've had to put a bunch of new policies in place. Um, you know, everything from like how we're our, our compensation philosophy. So like how are, how our employees are going to get paid to like our benefits packages, um, to, uh, our maternity leave and our paternity leave to, you know, how we deal with severance or, um, what, you know, are you able to take on side projects? So we, we've built out a lot of the kind of HR materials, you know, how we do hiring, onboarding, all that stuff. Um, so as part of that, I wanted to do performance reviews this year. Not that I didn't have anything else on my plate. Uh, but as again, just a way to, uh, for everyone to see kind of where they stand, um, in terms of, you know, their, how their work's going, um, you know, what they're doing really well, what they can improve on, um, it's also a place time for, of the year for us where we do compensation reviews as well. So, you know, what performance level did they get based, uh, influences kind of what salary raise they get as well. So we're almost done with it, <laughs> but it's already been very, very helpful. Um, just taking that time to kind of sit back and think about how the various employees are doing. That's awesome. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so what do you see next for Podia? Where do you want to take the company in the next, you know, two to five years? Mm-hmm. So our goal is, uh, by 2025 to be the only platform that a creator uses to monetize. Uh, that's our long-term five-year goal. And so really it's just about executing against that. Um, so what are all the things we have to do over the next five years uh, to make that a reality. So that's kind of where we look at in terms of, um, 
the long-term goal. And then every year, so next year, for example, there's specific sub goals we need to hit, uh, to continue to get to that, uh, final sort of milestone. I like that. That's like a huge, like bold goal to say, like the only company (laughs) to provide. So like, obviously you have competitors. So like, what do you imagine seeing with these competitors? Like just no one's, they're just going to you instead. (laughs) (laughs) Ideally. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, if you look at Shopify, for example, it's not that Shopify doesn't have competitors. You know, they have quite a few big competitors that are multi hundred million dollar a year businesses or billion dollar a year businesses. But if someone asks, you know, what should I use to sell physical products? People will say Shopify. Yeah. So yeah, it's the sure. same sort of thing for us. It's like, if you're looking to monetize yourself, um, as a creator, I want the, the answer out of people's mouths to be Podia. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. We're not know. quite there, <laughs> but, but uh, there. I hope to be in five years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Amazing. So uh, Spencer, I do want to be mindful of your time. Um, I do end off each chat with what I call the founders three, three quick questions. You ready? Sure. Uh, number one, your favorite uh, business book. So that tends to change all the time for me, but recently it's been, uh, Ben Horwitz's new book, um, all around culture. Uh, and the name is actually escaping me right now. Uh, but it's an amazing book. I read it in, you know, 24, 48 hours. Um, super helpful for thinking through the impact of you as the founder, um, and to all your employees and how you act um, as a company. Nice. It's about, it's, uh, it's by Ben Horowitz and it's about culture. Yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. I'll find that. Um, number two, your favorite vacation spot. Uh, so, uh, I grew up going to Nantucket, which is a little Island off of Massachusetts in the Northeast. And I still go there, um, every summer. So I'd have to say that. Nice. Awesome. And uh, lastly, if you can go back, what's the one thing you wish you knew when you were just starting out in business? I'd say this is an obvious one, but how important the people you work with are. And it's something I've only really appreciated over the last five years. Um, and sometimes, and that sounds silly, but in some of my previous companies, I was like, Oh, this person's a a good designer. Like let's hire them. That sounds good. Whereas there's so much more that goes into it. And it's so, it's so important to have people that are just tremendously talented, but also just great people that you like working with and that are going to kind of uplift everyone at the company. I I totally agree. I think that's a great, uh, you know, piece of advice or thing to know early on. And and that's something I practice every day. I think it's so important to to take hiring and onboarding like very seriously. You can't build a great company without having a great team behind you. So yeah, I don't, my, my younger self would hire, you know, I'd see some good designer on Cardinate or Dribble, and I'd be like, Oh, like that person looks great. Let's hire them. And I didn't think about what that really meant. Yeah, no, we, we did the exact same thing <laughs> many times, but, um, Spencer, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate this. Um, really glad we were able to connect and, uh, I hope we can do it again sometime. Uh, thanks so much. All right. Awesome. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear it. 
Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business, and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.